Well, I have an interesting question for you this morning to begin with. Uh, as we look at our, our fifth message in the gospel series, uh, we're going to be looking at the E, uh, eternal urgency. My question for you is, how many people do you know, or I guess was, for this question it should be past tense, how many people did you know that died when they were supposed to? All of them? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, clearly. Maybe, maybe uh, I'll ask it a different way. Uh, alternately, how many people do you know that died too soon? Well, I guess if, if, if all of them died when they were supposed to, none of them died too soon, right? Well, okay, let's, let's take out God's sovereignty for a second and, and, and put in our own personal preference as, as determining when people are supposed to die and when they're not. So we take that out and we say, all right, how many people do you know that died when they were supposed to? In my life, none of them. And how many of them died too soon? All of them, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, my grandfather uh, was uh, 88, I believe, when he died. That was too soon, as far as I'm concerned. I had a great aunt who died at 99, or was she 98? About to turn 99, I think. That was, that was too soon. I had another great aunt who was uh, 104 when she died. That has stuck with me for a long time. That's just, that just, you know, it ain't going to be no too soon for me. She's going, really, honey, you're still here? Um, uh, 104, and, and unfortunately, because of where she lived and where I lived, I didn't have as close a relationship with this 104-year-old great, great aunt, uh, Aura was her name, um, that, that I would have liked. Um, and in her later years, when I was a kid, we were up there regularly. And man, that lady could cook like you wouldn't believe. I mean, and she always had a kitchen full of food. I don't care what time we went to visit, she had been cooking and didn't know we were coming. Didn't matter. We just pop in. Oh yeah, I've got. Oh, I've got. I got a uh, pork and an, an okra and uh, I'd actually do a pretty good impression of my Aunt Aura. You, you, that, that, was, that was pretty good. Oh, she thought I looked like Clark Gable. I don't know where she got it. I don't have the ears, but for, for my entire life, oh, there's my movie star, Clark, Clark Gable. You know. Anyway, she died at 104. That was too soon as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she was blind. Um, <laughs> In history, we can, we can look back and see uh, people who we felt like died too soon. And I, I'm not talking about, I mean, I, I did a, just a Google search uh, just to see what I could come up with of people who died too soon. I mean, that was, that was what I put in there. And inevitably, you get movie stars, and it's usually uh, stars that died of drug overdoses. I mean, you got, um, what was her name, Brittany Murphy came up. Uh, River Phoenix came up, John Belushi came up, uh, uh, Chris uh, Farley came up. All of those people died of drug overdoses, uh, and, they did, and they died young, and it was too soon. But I, I wanted someone who had not just a, um, an impact on our, our culture, but an impact on history. 
I'm not old enough to remember uh, when JFK was assassinated, uh, but that impacted history. He, he died too soon, uh, and I don't know, my, my 1960s history is not the greatest, so I, I don't know what his death directly impacted. When I think of someone who died too soon in history, I think of Abraham Lincoln. Now, I know we Southerners, uh, for uh, Abraham Lincoln, maybe not the favorite uh, since he started the war of northern aggression, right? Um, I, I, I got that, or at least we say he started it. I'm not speaking to the, the, the good or ill of the Civil War, though I will uh, loudly say something had to be done about slavery. We had to get rid of that, and sadly, uh, it came to war. Uh, though that wasn't the only issue for the war, it was a major one. So I'm not going to get into that this morning. Abraham Lincoln, though, had a grand plan for the South after the Civil War. You might not have known this. If you, if you, I've read a lot about it. He had a, a, a plan to completely, and I think I've talked about, this, uh, uh, talked about this a few weeks ago, a plan to completely forgive Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, uh, the, the, the government officials, he was, they were not going to be tried for treason. Um, he wanted to bring the South back into the Union and prop them up and, and get, them, uh, get the South back, not to where it was based on uh, chattel slavery, but to get them going with manufacturing and that kind of thing. I have so many rabbits here I could chase because uh, you know, I've read all this stuff, but I won't. I'm going to focus, Michael, focus. He wouldn't do it. He, 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 he wasn't going to punish the South. And then the idiot, John Wilkes Booth, goes and shoots him in the back of the head just a few days after the end of the Civil War. And then we get a weak president, the vice president, Andrew Johnson, steps up. Uh, he was a very weak president. He was controlled by the radical, at that time, uh, the radical Republican wing of Congress who were, would, was intent on punishing the South. And so we get Reconstruction in the South as we know it. And we uh, in the South, especially the, the uh, most cotton-rich states, Mississippi, uh, Georgia to some extent, though they always had Atlanta, so they, they had some bouncing back they could do. But my home, Mississippi, got the worst of it because they were so dependent on agriculture and slavery. And then when Lincoln's plan to rebuild the South didn't uh, come, in, come to fruition, but instead the uh, radical Republicans' plan was to punish the South, one of the state's hardest hit was Mississippi, and you still see poverty unlike any other state in Mississippi today because of it. You can trace it all the way back to Lincoln's assassination. In my book, that was a man who was killed too soon. Now, we, we all have, like I said, different, different views of what that means. You have loved ones that shouldn't have died uh, or, or, or died too soon or, 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 or literally shouldn't have died. You know, like we go back to the actors and actresses that died of drug overdoses. They should not have died. That should have never been an issue. Unfortunately, in their lives, it was. What we see in this, though, is that we never know. When Lincoln went to uh, Ford's Theater that evening to go and see this play, 
He never thought he wouldn't, at the end of it, walk back to the White House or get in his carriage and go back to the White House and get up and, and president the nation the next day. Yet he didn't. JFK never thought when he took that trip through, that, that little drive through Dealey Plaza in that convertible, that that would be his, his last uh, day, his last few moments of the presidency. Uh, these, uh, these actors, when they thought, if they were thinking while they were taking those drugs, never thought that would be the last time that they would do that. And yet, it was. And that's the message that we have today on E of the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. E, eternal urgency. And I don't mean eternal urgency by the, the urgency lasts forever. As a matter of fact, I, I mean the opposite of that. I mean eternity depends on our urgency today. The urgency of the eternal. It is eternal urgency because we have to make a decision today based on eternity, eternity. And it is urgent that we do that because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, if you're not already there. We're in verse 7. And verse 7 is the rest of a sentence. So it's not going to sound like a, a complete sentence to you, but it is a, a thought that we need to work through. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 says, So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What this so that is... Uh, referring to is some things, actually there are three verbs in this sentence, and this sentence goes from verse 1 to, to verse 10, if I remember correctly, uh, maybe verse 4 to verse 10, uh, and the verbs don't show up until like way later, and you know, oh, this is the point. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but he's, he's finishing a thought is what he's doing in this verse, but before we get into that thought, let's remember what we need to remember. The G of gospel, God, God's character. He is holy. He is good. He is loving, and He is just. He, he is not sinful. He does not take sin lightly. He does not participate in sin, and He doesn't allow sin in His presence. That's God. That's His character. Oh, the reason He doesn't allow sin in His presence, and that is His character, is because of the offense of sin. Sin is deadly for us, Sin makes us an enemy of God. It puts us on the side of the devil, who the Bible clearly states is an enemy of God. S is the sufficiency of Christ. God knew his own character. He knew there was no uh, get-out-of-jail-free plan for sinners. He knew how offensive sin was, so he sent his only son, who was exactly what we needed, was the right tool for the job. He was the right tool because he was perfectly human, he was perfectly God, and he was exactly what we needed. He was sufficient. P is personal response, G-O-S-P. We have to respond. We have a responsibility to respond to the gospel when we hear it. And that gets us today to uh, where we are, our eternal urgency. It is, our response is both eternal and immediate. It affects both the eternal and the immediate. And we're going to see that as we work through this passage. So chapter 7 of verse 2, or cha 
verse 7 of chapter 2, begins with so that in the coming ages. And as I said, that so that refers back to something. It refers back to uh, the verbs in verse 5, verb in verse 5 where he says, He made us alive. God made us alive in verse 5. He raised us up and seated us in the heavens in verse 6. He did those things, Paul is telling us in Ephesians. God did those things. God made us alive. God raised us up and God seated us in the heavens. These are... uh, this is salvation, raised us, uh, made us alive. That is our moment of salvation, our, our uh, justification. We are made holy with God, raised us up. That is not quite, but kind of corresponds to our sanctification, how we are made holy over time, and then seated us in the heavens. That is our glorification, that when we die and when we are raised, we'll be seated at the right hand. He did those things, God did, so that. See, we are saved with a purpose. We are saved for a purpose. God didn't just decide someday he was going to save us because, well, they're, you know, they're pretty good folks. I kind of like them, so I'm going to send salvation through my son, and then that's just going to be it. You know, that, that's all it is. It's, you know, they get their salvation, they go about their merry way. That is not the, the, the purpose of salvation. Salvation has a very immediate and temporal purpose. And that main immediate and temporal purpose is to see other people be saved. We are saved to good works. Verse 9 tells us that. We, we are uh, been saved by grace in verse 8. Not uh, from works, so that we can boast. Rather, I'm sorry, it's verse 10. We are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's, that's our, our temporal purpose. And there is no greater work, there is no more important work that we can do as Christians than to see the lost come to know Jesus because of our direct witness. Which is why we are doing Can We Talk on Sunday nights and going out and taking the gospel to people who we think possibly haven't heard the gospel. And we know we live in a town with a lot of people who have never heard the clear gospel of Jesus Christ explained to them. So there's certainly an immediate and and temporal purpose for our salvation. But Jesus, or, or rather Paul, is telling us here that there's also an eternal purpose for our salvation. There is something that we are supposed to do later. Or if not something to do, actually Paul's saying something to receive. So that in the coming ages, so that we will do something. And those coming ages, it's not, you know, um, when you're 40, you have, you know, you get something because you're in that age bracket. And then when you're 60, it's a different age bracket. Not those coming ages. This is talking about eternity. This is talking about the, the epochs of time that will continue on forever that we will get to be a part of as Christians. So that, the verse continues, he might display so that God might, how else would we say it, show off. God would show us everything He is. He would display. He would put out. When, you, when your kid colors a coloring page, and your kid is two and a half, and that coloring page is a mishmash of scribbles and colors and 
lines and dots and nowhere near the lines, doesn't look like anything, you say, well, that's horrible. And you throw it in the trash, right? No, you put it on the refrigerator. Like it is the finest piece of art. Nowadays, we put it on Facebook. We take a picture of a picture and we put it on Facebook and say, look what my two-and-a-half-year-old did. Isn't that beautiful? And everybody that looks at the Facebook picture goes, no. <laughs> but we like and we do smiley face and we say, oh, that's cute. And everybody knows it's ugly. But we display it because we're proud of it. We, 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 we advertise. We, we do it with a science fair. If, if, if middle schoolers, elementary schoolers, high schoolers do it for a grade, but a science fair, they do their display. They show it and, and, and used to. I don't know if we still do it now or not. Uh, you, you'd have science night and all the parents would come and you walk through and you'd see it and you'd see 12 volcanoes. Um, and, and one solar system, and, and then somebody else does something. I, I, I wish I could tell you what one kid did. My brother was in high school at the time. So this was a long time ago because he's old. Um, uh, and I can't, but it was horrible. It was not a good science project. Um, it didn't, well, it, it involved pudding and rice. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, and, I'll, I'll, and, and he did not make a good grade on his science project. That was my brother doing that. I'm just, it, I mean, it was, it was something he like, threw together. He thought he was being funny. And, and so you'll have those, you know. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's bad. But we, we display those things, right? Well, God, when he says, I have saved you for a purpose so that in the coming ages I might display, or Paul says he might display, we, we, we display those things so we can praise the kid. Good job. That's a horrible coloring job, but we're going to put it up because you tried. Uh, we're going to put all your science projects out so we can give you praise for what you did. We can give you a grade. God is going to display so that he receives the praise and the glory. See, that is the ultimate purpose of our salvation, Yes, we're called to a temporal uh, 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 act. We're saved to good works. We are called to witness of, of our faith to others who don't know our faith. But we are more importantly called to give glory to God. We are His treasure. We are His, His family. Again, what is Facebook used to be when, when, we, when we first got on Facebook and we were even a few years late getting to it. It was pretty much about, you know, how your kids were growing and what you ate. And now it's about politics. Uh, but it used to be how your kids were growing and what you ate. And, and you put them on there to display and show everybody, see how my kid's growing. And, and he, see, here's, here's my kid playing baseball and here's my kid playing football. And, and we love it and we display it and, and we, we give those kids glory. God says, I am doing that with my kids the day is coming that in the coming ages, I will display not my kids that I saved, but I will, he goes on to say, display my immeasurable riches. That sounds pretty cool. You ever go to car shows? You know, I'm not talking about like the antique car shows. You, you go and, and uh, there was a restaurant in uh, Baton Rouge called Frost Stop. It, it, there's only one now. It used to be a chain 
it was kind of a throwback to the, the diner, uh, burgers, that kind of thing, and, and they had really good root beer. And, and regularly, the Frost Stop had uh, a car show that you could go to, and, and folks would bring all their, their old uh, souped-up hot rods from the 40s and 50s, and it was just, it was just really cool. And, and they're, they're, they're displaying, and, and I'm always thinking when I go, man, these folks are rich. They are displaying what, to me, are, are immeasurable riches, because they can afford these, these souped-up cars, and, and we didn't have one of those. But more than that, more than just nice things to look at, God's immeasurable riches are talking about a wonderful future for us. This eternal part, right? That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. The eternal part of this is a wonderful future. Eternal promises to believers, we are guaranteed, when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit upon our salvation, we are guaranteed an eternal, wonderful, immeasurable, riches-filled future. It's promised. It's guaranteed. We don't have to wonder, well, what will death be like? Is it going to be better than, 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 than life? Yes, because God has uh, saved us so that in the coming ages he might display his immeasurable riches, those things he has set up for us, those immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Those guys that, that put out their cars, that is probably for a lot of them, not for all of them, but for a lot of them, that is probably the only thing they have. They pour every penny they have into that car. So their riches aren't immeasurable. One, one, you know, slick road and somebody not paying attention and their car is, right? It, 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 it's, it's temporal. It's, it's temporary. It can, it can leave. When we're talking about riches based on God's grace and kindness, we're not talking about something that one slick road and uh, somebody not paying attention is gone. We're talking about the God of the universe who created everything says, according to my grace, that grace that saved me when I didn't deserve it, that grace that took care of the offense of sin, didn't ignore it, but provided the sufficient Christ to, to take it away, that grace that said, I'm willing to give my son for you when you don't deserve it, that grace that said, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that grace, that's from pretty heavy stuff. On top of that is the kindness of God that says, you don't deserve the blessings I'm going to give you tomorrow, or the blessings next week, or the blessings, you don't deserve the next breath, yet I'm going to give them to you because I am kind, because I am loving. Those two things pile up to create, to show off these immeasurable riches that we have as believers. To God's glory, not to our own. He is going to do those things for us because He's God. And because we're going to spend an eternity worshiping Him in heaven. Now this is partially realized at death. I talked about this a little bit back, uh, was it October of last year that I did the uh, series on death during October? We partially realized these riches immediately after we die. Uh, blink of an eye, last brainwave, last breath, the Bible tells us 
Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that uh, we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Telling us clearly, when we die, we go be with Jesus. Now, where that is, I don't know. How that works up or works out, I'm not sure. Because what we think of as heaven... When we think of, oh, streets of gold and, and mansions and all that business, what we think of as heaven is actually uh, the new heaven. That's the end promise. That's what's coming later. When Jesus comes back and, and uh, establishes his kingdom and we reign, in, with etern uh, reign for eternity with him, that's the heaven we're talking about. That's Re Revelation 21 and uh, 22. Where we, where we see things like uh, John talks about, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven, first earth had passed away. I saw a holy city coming down. Uh, seated on, I saw the one seated on the throne. He told me to, to write all this stuff. And uh, New Jerusalem, there were seven angels and the seven bowls. And, and they all came around. And I, I saw foundations of the city with... Uh, Jasper and sapphire and emerald and carnelian and all these other things and pearl gates made of pearl, you know, pearly gates. Uh, that's not when we die. That's later after Jesus comes back. So what happens when we die? I don't know. That's not my sermon today. Uh, but I know we go to be with Jesus, and I know it's not the heaven that I just described to you. So, it's partially realized at death, these riches and grace. But I, I got news for you. It is perfectly fine and would be enough if all I got was 2 Corinthians 5.8. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And never got Revelation 21 and 22, pearly gates and, 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 and foundations of gold and all these other things. If I never got that it would still be immeasurable riches according to God's grace and kindness. Just that when I died, I got to go be with Jesus and didn't have to go to hell. That would be enough. But that's not all we get. We get so much more after that. That is for the believer. That's the eternal part of eternal urgency for the believer. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to wonder what's coming when we close our eyes for the last time. Whether it's peacefully or in extreme pain, it doesn't matter for the believer because at the end, at that final breath, to be absent from the, Lord, uh, from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that is a promise that will be kept to everyone who believes. But in my mind, as I'm working through this verse, this, this begs a question. Ephesians 2.7 is directed toward the believer because he says, you were saved, you were made alive, you were raised up, seated in the heavens so that you can have these eternal promises. But there are also eternal promises for the unbeliever. There is an eternity for the unbeliever. We see two specific places, both immediately following death which we go to be present with the Lord. We see a parable that Jesus used to explain what happens when we don't go to be with the Lord. And then we also see in Revelation uh, uh, 20 what happens at the end, the, the eternal promise to the unbeliever, 
whereas the believer gets the streets of gold and the pearly gates, etc., etc., what does the unbeliever get? The first that we get right after death as an unbeliever, we see from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and I'm just going to paraphrase the story for you, but you can turn to it if you'd like. There's a rich man who every day passes this beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus is really bad off. Turns out they both die about the same time. Lazarus, Jesus says, goes to paradise. Abraham's bosom is what they, they called it. He goes to be with uh, the faithful, those who believed. The rich man does not. Goes to Hades, Sheol, hell. The rich man can see Lazarus in his comfortable state where he is. He sees him there and he begs God to let Lazarus come down and help ease his torment. And the Bible says by just dipping his finger in some water and dripping it on the rich man's tongue. Just, just that would be enough. Well, it's, you know, if we think about even that, we know that wouldn't, right? That all, not only would, not that be, would that not be enough, that would just be more torture because he just wanted worse. Have you ever had, have you ever been really thirsty and you had a little to drink? And you're like, that, that just makes me realize I'm thirstier. Or maybe it's just me. Uh, that would have been the case for him, but there was no increasing his torture. God said, nope, there's a gulf here. Abraham, actually, but you know, is, is, is how the parable goes. But there's a gulf between you. You can't come up here. He can't go down there. It's... It's done. The decision was made, right? Lazarus, you had a life, or rather, rich man, you, you had a life to choose. And you chose, and at death, you no longer had a choice. That decision is made. That gulf between you is set. And the rich man says, well, okay, well, I'm up a creek at this point. So can you at least send Lazarus back to tell my brothers about this, because, you know, I, they're, they're going to end up here with me. And the response there was, they've got people around them that have been telling them their whole lives. Do you hear the message? Do you hear that there's an eternal urgency? Now we're, we're on that urgency part. There's an urgency to share the message of the gospel. The rich man knew, I messed up. I, 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 I wish... I could do something about this, but that gulf can't be, that, that distance can't be bridged. Go and tell my brothers so they'll know. And the response was, there are people there to tell them. The message is there. But somebody's got to tell them the message. There are people who have heard the message. But people need to respond. Laz, uh, the rich man was not caught off guard by where he went. You notice you, you never hear that from him. You never hear, I didn't know, because he knew. And yet he did not make the choice while he was alive. And he was left with the choice that he had made while living at the time of his death. Revelation 20 tells us not just what, not, not what happens immediately upon death, but what we can expect later on. 
uh, verses, I can't see that in the back, 11 through 15. I will read this one to you. John writes, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Now, now hear this. I want you to hear. Every time in the Bible judgment is discussed, it is always people's works that are judged. Your sin sends you to hell. Okay? Understand that. Verse uh, 18. Nope, 13, rather. Then the sea gave up its dead, and death and Hades gave up their dead. That would have been where the rich man was at this time. And all were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And then verse 15, lest you think, oh, I've got to be good enough to go to heaven. Uh-uh-uh. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Huh. So as an unbeliever, you get to, to this great white throne judgment is what that, that passage is, refers to. Your sins are what are judged. It will be your sins as an unbeliever that sends you to hell. Those of you who are believers, if you've trusted in Christ, it was still your sins that sends you there. It's not your absence of sins that gets you to heaven. It's not, it doesn't work that way. It's your faith in Christ that gets you to heaven. You are saved from your sins, from the penalty of your sins. And we see right here that death and Hades, and I could get into some more things there with who we're talking about is at that throne, but we're not going to do that today. The people there... Here are all your works. You, 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 you. Let's, let's pick it you out, rich man. Here are all your works. All the things you did, and they are what sends you to hell. Now, did he, good do, did he do good things? Probably. Didn't matter. He was judged based on his works, and he was found sinful. All right. Those are all your sins. You are condemned to hell. But then they cross-reference it. They look at this other book, the book of life. They already know this stuff. You know, it doesn't really happen exactly this way. We understand that, right? But they, they cross-reference. All right, rich man, rich man, R, 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 I, R, R, T, T, C, H. Oh, no, no, R, I, C, H, rich man. Here we go. Nope. You're not in the book of life. Therefore, your sins have condemned you to hell. You did not rest in the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. So, you get there for an unbeliever, and you are cast into what is said here, the lake of fire, eternal torment. It's not a pretty picture. It, it shouldn't be somewhere we want to go. It, it should be somewhere that we should say, how can I get out of this? It should be somewhere we understand we deserve the offense of sin, God's character. I deserve that, certainly, but how do I get out of that? 
Is there no answer? Yes, there's an answer. The sufficiency of Christ. There's an extreme urgency on the part of the Christian. There should be on the part of the Christian to share the gospel. How many people have we known that left a family gathering, drove down the road, and died in a wreck? Oh, if we had just had next week, we might have told them about Jesus. Someone who, who had a stroke and died. If we just had one more day, we'd have told them about, it, about Jesus. Something snatches them like that. Oh, if we had just had one more day. I ask you, how many days did you have that you didn't take advantage of? And you didn't share the gospel with them. The gospel is the rescue. The, the gospel is the rescue from eternal fire, eternal punishment. It is the only rescue. I have the capitalized because it's the only one. It's not a rescue. This is the definite article, not the indefinite article. The rescue. There is no other. So if we know those who are destined, doomed to that lake of fire, then we have the rescue as Christians. We are the messengers. The responsibility is ours to share that. And the, there is an eternal urgency that we must share it. Are they going to like you when you share it? No. Are they going to think you a fool? Yeah. But is that not worth the chance? Oh, you think I'm a fool, but at least I told you. Maybe they won't think you're a fool, and they'll accept Christ. What have you lost if they don't accept Christ? A little, a little of your ego? What have they lost if they don't? Their eternity. Our time is now to share this. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed to, die, to man to die once, and then the judgment. See, we only have one shot. This life is our shot. If we do not accept Christ in this life, we don't have another opportunity. It doesn't work that way. You, you won't, in Scripture, you will not find purgatory. You won't find an opportunity to pay for your sins after death and then hopefully get to heaven later on. It doesn't work that way. We have one shot. There is an eternal urgency to respond to the gospel, and today may be your last shot. Today may be your final opportunity. Streets are wet. I'm just saying. You may, you, you may have plans to go to Seguin or San Marcos. You don't even have to go that far. You don't know what's going on inside your body right now. There is an eternal urgency. You might have 80 years left, but you can't count on those years. You have today. Right now, as you listen to this message, you know you have right now. And today is the day of your salvation. This is the hour that you need to respond. And I pray that you would respond. The gospel is it's simple. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, people say that, but, but it is. It is simple. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. We deserve that death. Because of the offense of sin, we deserve that eternal punishment in fire. That's just the way it is. 
but God's gift to us is salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5, 8, God proves his own love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was a gift given that we might never receive, yet that gift was still offered. Christ still died even though he knew there would be millions and millions of people that would never accept him. They would reject him all their lives. And he was not okay with that, but he was willing to lay down his life for everyone knowing that he would be rejected. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No one here is excluded. No one listening to this message online is excluded. You are able to accept Christ today. That free offer stands before you. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's why I say it's simple. Now, life is, is wonderful with Jesus, but there ain't nothing simple about it. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that life as a Christian is just going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Boy, you just, you, you, when you get Jesus, you, everything smooths out and everybody gets rich. And, oh, that's bull. If they're telling you that, turn off the TV. Life will be hard. Uh, go back and read Matthew 5 one more time about the persecution that we will endure, but it is worth it because of, what did we say? So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We get forever with just a little temporary suffering. Isn't that worth giving up your life for his today? Trust in Jesus Christ as your personal savior. You can do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have provided the way. Lord, thank you that we know the way. God, thank you that many of us have responded to that way. Lord, I pray today, this morning, that, that someone responds who has not followed that way. Lord, somebody here will trust you as Savior. Give their heart to you. Somebody here who is a Christian will understand the eternal urgency that is, that is all around us. None of our friends, family members, people we don't know, are guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, there must be an urgency to take the gospel. Change our hearts. Not, we don't need to do this out of guilt. We don't need to do this even out of responsibility, though it is our responsibility. Lord, make it be an outflow of our relationship with you. That we love you so much, how can we not tell others about you? Lord, do a mighty work in this place this morning in the hearts and lives of everyone who has heard my voice. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? How should you respond? Maybe you need to accept Christ today. The, those passages in Romans, they just clicked for you today. You got it. You understood it. I want to accept Christ today. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to be baptized. You've accepted Christ. Maybe you have accepted Christ, but your life is not where it should be. You need to talk to somebody, have somebody pray with you. Maybe you need to be used according to his purpose. Maybe that means telling somebody else about Jesus, a family member a friend. Maybe you have other decisions this morning. Mike, 
had to go on call this morning, so uh, I will be at the piano instead of down front. Russell's going to come down front. Chairman of the Deacons, Russell Turk, he is going to be here. And if you need prayer, he would be more than happy to pray with you. If you want to give your heart to Jesus, he would love to rejoice with you that, with that this morning and uh, maybe explain that a little bit more, at least pray with you and let you solidify that in your life. Maybe this altar is where you need to be. You need to just come and pray and give some things to him. Whatever you need to do this morning, you come, stand, let's sing, and you do business with God this morning as we worship.